is forecast across London from the 26th of February until the 27th of February. Please cycle, walk or use public transport to help improve London's air quality. Sign up for air quality alerts at www.airtext.info or visit tfl.gov.uk for more information. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Bernadette Ballantyne, and this week we're exploring green buildings and the impact that improving the environmental performance of a building can have on its surroundings. To do this, we'll talk to a world-leading expert on building envelope design, who says that green building facades can not only reduce the urban heat island effect and lower energy consumption, they can improve air quality, create power that can be fed back into the grid and even make cities happier. As our cities expand and grow, could bringing nature back into our urban spaces in the form of plant-based cladding help our cities lower their carbon footprint and become better places to live? Rudy Scheuermann thinks so. My name is Rudy Scheuermann. I'm an Arab Fellow and I'm the Global Skills Network Leader in uh, Building Envelope Design. But before we get started, what do we mean by a building envelope? If you're matching a building, it's wrapped in an envelope. And that envelope is a bit like a jumper for us when we wear a jumper. And that envelope as such is giving you the performance against overheating. It's giving you the performance against getting too cold. It's getting you the performance against rain. It's getting you the performance also in terms of representing yourself. I mean, if we go to an opera, we dress differently than if we, for example, go for sports. And um, if we go to bed, we wear something different than if we go for skiing. So all of these things need to be addressed. And that's the same thing with buildings. I mean, depending on where they stand, what sort of representation or character these buildings have, um, they have a different need to show off or, you know, depending on their exposure, on the climate, on the use, we have different needs to dress the building. And that's the building envelope. Designing a green building envelope then has three main approaches, starting with common sense. The first sort of level of green envelope is common sense, making use as much as possible of free cooling, making sure we are blocking energy ingress that we don't want to have and making it possible when we want it. As long as we're in an environment where we design a building smart so that we can use as much as possible free cooling, meaning natural ventilation, we save energy. That is a greener building than one that is fully air conditioned. Natural systems then mean less energy intensive man-made processes. Air conditioning is a means of convenience that we have developed over the last, say, 50, 60 years, which helped us to ignore all the environmental influences by consuming energy. A full glass building without external shading was just possible because we did internal air conditioning, cooling. If we use common sense, we would be able to save a lot of energy if we address that issue better, not using as much cooling on the inside. Once natural systems are engineered in, 
and Rudy is careful to point out that these systems do have to be recognised and incorporated into a building design, the next step in creating green buildings is to harness technical developments. Technology can be um, from great sort of mechanised external shading devices which are retractable. Um, it can be uh, building automation that things are supported, um, like for example, in a big sort of uh, open space office. You cannot leave the choice when you would open a window, when you would close it, to those who sit at the window because those who sit further away from a window would still have maybe needs. So you need to measure air conditions in the space and you need to operate the facade on a sort of more neutral basis of analysis of air quality, temperature, light levels and things like that. So that is the sort of second level of green building for me where we do mechanized stuff to a facade that would then sort of enable us to save more energy, to be more sustainable. And then there's a third level of green building envelope design, which goes beyond reducing energy consumption. It actually creates its own energy and feeds it back into the system. Buildings that with their envelope generate more energy than you actually need within the building. So giving something back into the general grid. That's sort of the third level of green building. And that can be with buildings like, for example, the algae house, which we have done. That can be something with photovoltaic. It can be done with um, solar thermal, lots of ways in which it can be done. The solar leaf building in Hamburg is actually the world's first bioreactive facade. A total of 129 flat panel bioreactors, known as PBRs, each two and a half by 0.7 metres, were installed on the southeast and southwest facades of the four-storey residential building designed by architect Splitterwerk. Each PBR consists of four glass layers with microalgae housed in the middle two. Carbon dioxide emissions from conventional combustion processes are then fed into the bottom of the panels using compressed air. The microalgae then photosynthesize in the sun, consuming carbon dioxide and producing biomass. The solar thermal effects also generate heat. The panel takes the form of louvres, supported on central vertical axes, which contract the path of the sun. As well as producing energy, they shade the building, meaning less air conditioning is needed. If you use bioreactive material, like say the green algae facade that we've done, you can actually grow the algae, you can harvest the algae, you can ferment them and you turn them into biogas. And the biogas you can just store as long as you want. And you can use that to run your car, you can use that um, to furnace it to produce heat, but you can also use that combined, uh, combined um, heat and power and uh, produce power and the excess heat you use um, for heating the building or hot water or whatever you need. Other energy collection systems such as solar thermal or photovoltaics do have a higher efficiency rate at converting sunlight into heat or energy. But an advantage of microalgae is that the biogas it produces can be stored. However, with just one prototype in operation, there's a long way to go before bioreactive facades expand beyond Hamburg. It's not established at all. I mean, there is one prototype that we have built yet. There are loads of bioreactors that um, are being tested, tubular ones, um, then our um, louver ones, and we are just developing at the moment a new 
cladding system where you actually use bioreactors as fixed cladding on uh, building envelopes on opaque surfaces. Um, like you would, for example, use now photovoltaics um, that are all over the building as a cladding to absorb whatever energy you can gain. It's a difficult question because quite frankly, a lot of solutions don't always make it into the market just because they are good. Mm -hmm. Some things are good and don't make it just because there is politics behind it, just because certain things um, work with marketing, with image and so on. But I certainly think there is in terms of energy, quite a bit of potential, and we will come sooner or later to a point where we need to collect whatever is possible. A solution that could be more deliverable goes back to Rudy's first two points about utilising natural systems and implementing sustainable technical developments. It's the idea that plant life should be used on buildings to give back green space that cities lose as they expand. If we build over land, we are taking plants away and the potential for plants. So... <clears throat> the result, and we all know about that, the denser the city, the more we have he uh, heat island effects in the cities. Um, we also have um, greater pollution because more people produce more waste. Then we need more cooling. We have more energy consumption and therefore more CO2 production um, due to fossil uh, fuel being used. And if we get away from that, then we're improving our cities. The answer, says Rudy, is to turn buildings themselves into green spaces. With just a small proportion of each facade of the building being used, the result could be to give back 100% or more of the green space that was originally taken. If we assume that a cube has five times the sites that he's standing on, um, then uh, we're giving five times the potential back of the site we're occupying. If we take 20% of each of those sites, we give 100% back. So that means 20% on each of the facades and 20% of the roof should be green. That's not a big amount of green that we need to actually equalize the benefit of building on that piece of land. If we do that, then we can neutralize to a large extent heat island effects. Plus, the plants will give us a filter function for fine dust, which creates and generates much better air quality. And after all, we have almost 2 billion people in the world who suffer of um, uh, breathing defects, uh, which come and which are caused by fine dust. This includes the City of London. And as I was on my way to interview Rudy Scheumann using London's underground system, I heard an announcement which told me that on this particular day, air pollution in the city was high. We just experienced the hottest February on record, with temperatures climbing to over 21 degrees Celsius, and particulate emissions brought in from low altitude air over industrial areas of northern France and central Europe were lingering in the city. Now, thanks to efforts by the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, to improve air quality, Londoners can check air quality daily, finding out whether air pollution is low, moderate, high or very high. The research is done by the Environmental Research Group of King's College London through the London Air website, which is a brilliant resource if you live or work in London. Its daily air quality index compares levels of key pollutants such as carbon monoxide, nitrogen dioxide, sulphur dioxide, ozone and airborne particulate matter known as PM2.5 and larger PM10 particles. On this particular day in London, the city was experiencing a pollution episode, where concentration of the PM10 particles reached high levels, 
meaning that the air was polluted by microscopic particulates of materials, typically carbon, trace metals or organic compounds. In a process known as phytoremediation, which in Latin means restoring balance, plants are understood to be able to absorb toxic gases through pores on the surface of their leaves and metabolise them within their tissue. But just imagine if we had a lot more green on buildings and our green building envelope brochure, we've done research in five big global capitals with sort of different proportions, urban sprawl, lower dense block building like, say, Berlin or London. We've looked at high-rise cities like Hong Kong or American cities uh, with downtown areas, different climates. And what it, what we have seen is that the higher the buildings are, the more the urban heat island effect and also the less good the air quality is. So with the need of improving those denser cities, we bring more green into the cities, the more we bring in, the better the air quality gets. And with less bad air quality, less people will get sick, less people will have stress syndromes, less people uh, will be aggressive and we will see much less um, aggression and maybe also less graffiti and things like that. Nobody really sprays graffitis on plants, but a lot of them are being sprayed on concrete or plastered walls. So how do we practically achieve this? You put trays on the facade where you can grow plants. Sometimes it can be as little as growing moss on the facades. Um, we all know green roofs. Instead of pebbles, you just put gravel on and you grow plants on the roofs. And that is also extremely beneficial for water management, which is a completely different subject. But what I'm trying to say, green in the city is very beneficial. And very often it's being looked at as a decoration, but it isn't decoration. What it really is, is an infrastructure element in our built environment. And we actually have to see it like that. It's not about decorating our environment for it to be more pleasant. That's a positive outcome of it. But we should do that in order to actually increase the infrastructure use um, in our built environment. At the same time, plant-based facades absorb less energy than other materials, leading to less heat gain, and therefore lowering the urban heat island effect generated when land use is modified for human activity. If you put a plant room on top of a building and the flat roof on which it's standing is a black tarmac roof, the sun hits the tarmac roof it heats up to 60, 70 degrees at the time when we have the biggest heating needs, uh, the, big, the biggest cooling needs. So when we have sort of full hot summer, biggest need to cool, the air conditioning is sort of absorbing three meters above roof, the fresh air to be cooled down for cooling needs inside. Three meters above the roof means we are absorbing the hottest air because where would the heat go from the 60, 70 degrees of the black tarmac roof? It will evaporate and just above when it has heated up the air as much as it can, we're absorbing it to cool it down. So those 60, 70 degrees heat the air temperature up by say 10, 15 degrees. Those 10, 15 degrees need to be cooled down before we actually conserve the cooling need. If this plant room is sitting on a green roof, the temperature is much lower. 
The environmental temperature can even be a little bit lower than air temperature because of the evaporating cooling of the green roof. If there is water that can evaporate, then the air temperature can even be a little bit less. So we're talking immediately of 10 to 15 Kelvin less cooling temperature for the building for the next 25 years. That must be saving lots of energy. Perhaps the most exciting thing about implementing greenery onto buildings is the potential for retrofitting existing structures. According to the International Energy Agency, existing buildings account for 36% of all global energy use and 40% of all carbon emissions. That's really why I think green building envelope is so important because existing buildings is our basis. 90-95% of all the buildings in our built environment are existing over, what, 25, 30, 40, 50 years. These buildings have not the best energy performance. So if we can retrofit even just all the roofs to be green or a high percentage of those to be green, we reduce already the heat island effect quite a bit. If we bring more plants on buildings, I think the discussion is no longer so much about style of the facade. A green building, nobody has ever told me that he didn't or she didn't like a green ivy facade. That is just a green facade. Nobody has sort of questions about proportions or anything like that. And if we sort of learn to work more with green elements on facades, I actually think that also the um, the length for which a facade is not so much in sort of a fashion mode being changed after five or ten years to have a fresh image. I think we will, with plants on facades, we will create an environment which is a lot more pleasant. And there are other positive outcomes which we often don't talk about because we feel as engineers not entitled to talk about it. But more green in cities statistically can show that um, there is less aggression, there is less stress. Um, Public health will uh, probably improve quite significantly If we look at airports at the moment, all the lounges suddenly get green internal facades. Why? Because it's stress lowering. If we bring that more into cities, and I'm saying that because we might not have the place on the street to put more green into cities. If we have that, that's probably our first choice. But where we don't have that, we need to make use of the areas that we have. And that's built environment and that's buildings. So the building envelope is where we have a big potential to improve our environment. But there are obviously challenges to overcome if green buildings are to become popular and if bioreactive facades are to prove their potential. Maintenance is one concern. Scheumann says that in Europe, non-watering systems could be employed to reduce maintenance regimes by selecting the correct types of plants that can survive without energy and water-intensive irrigation. The idea of making cities greener is not new. Cities all over the world are seeking to boost their environment with natural solutions. Milan plans to plant 3 million trees by 2030. Melbourne is seeking to double canopy cover by 40% by 2040. And Athens is examining the potential for more trees to mitigate the harmful effects of flash flooding. Another step along this route could be making buildings themselves greener, with new measures such as bioreactive facades and restoration of green surfaces to building exteriors. But for these to take off, there need to be more pioneers like Solar Leaf, who are willing to test out these new approaches. Everybody is waiting to see others to do it first. But more lately, we see first examples being executed. We're having temporary solutions where people sort of 
like it a lot. We've even done a scaffolding cladding with temporary green in um, areas where we've had construction sites, and that was extremely successful. And if you imagine the amounts of millions of square meters of cladding, um, temporary cladding of scaffolding that we have in any big city at any time, even that in itself would represent a big, big improvement. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media, produced and hosted by Bernadette Ballantyne. Special thanks to Arup, Transport for London, King's College Environmental Research Group and the World Economic Forum. Mixing and editing by John Young. Fact-checking by Rian Owen. Rory Harris is bioreactive producer. Theme tune by JM Sounds and additional music by Pond5. Are you involved in engineering that matters? Let us tell your story. Contact Ryan at rebemedia.com and we'll be back in two weeks with more. <laughs>